time to chat. Not in this church. Oh, I've lost you. I've lost you. Oh, well. Well, welcome once again, everybody. My name's Hannah, and it is so, so great to have all of you here today. If you've been with us over the summer, you will know that we've been talking about the church. We've been looking at the book of Acts. Um, basically, so looking at uh, Jesus came down to this earth, lived his life perfectly, wonderfully with people, um, died his perfect death, went up to heaven, and basically we come to Acts, um, and the Holy Spirit comes in the place of Jesus, and you've got the first believers um, looking at how to do church, how to do community, live out all of this kind of commission and promises of how to live life together. So we've started at the book of Acts, looking at how to do that. And um, it was all going amazingly. We read, you know, at the beginning, they talk about that they are devoted to each other, to the teachings. There's many signs and wonders. Um, They sell all their possessions and share them with each other. No one had any need. And um, they're praising God, generous hearts. Um, they have favour with the people around them, and the Lord added to their number day by day. Uh, And then as we've gone through this series, what we've seen is um, various things basically come. So there's been persecution we see, the church, from, say, the the government and the people around them. Um, How does the church cope with that? We've had individuals kind of deceit and lying, and various obstacles come. Um, having been given this incredible kind of commission and promises. And then we come to Act 6, which is what I'm talking about today, and we're looking at divisions in the church, tensions, racial tensions, cultural tensions in the church. Um, So I will start by reading in that context the passage. I think it's hopefully maybe going to come up, Um, but we're looking at Act 6, verses 1 to 7. So now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, um, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. They set uh, before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, I'm just going to quickly pray before we crack on. Yeah, Lord, we thank you so much um, that you, God, are here with us. That time of worship we've had, talking of your love for us. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to us all individually, collectively right now, Lord. Um, we're here and we just want to hear you, God. So speak to us, open our hearts, help me, Lord. Amen. Okay, so as I said, as you can see here, we've basically got the Hellenists and the Hebrews, these two groups, 
um, of people and tensions arise um, between them. And um, effectively, you've got these two groups. They are Jews, they're both Jews, um, but the Hellenists effectively would have been um, Greek-speaking uh, Jews and culturally align themselves um, with um, the Greek people. So um, they would have probably lived all over the place outside Jerusalem. Often they would kind of come back um, when later in life or so forth. And um, you'd have the majority of um, would be Hebrews um, speaking um, local tongue there. And you'd have more of this kind of smaller minority group, which they called Hellenists, these kind of Greek-aligned um, um, Jews. So still Jews, but huge differences in languages. Culturally, um, you've kind of got your, your pure Hebrews and the minority group of the Greek-speaking. And um, so in just in relation to that, um, now, obviously, I... Um, white, and uh, I would say I'm, a, I'm fairly as you know middle class as they come. Um, I grew up in Kent, had a really lovely kind of upbringing there, uh, and so for me, when talking about a kind of minority group, um, in all honesty, I've, I've I've never experienced that. I can safely say I don't know what that feels like. But kind of thinking about it, I guess the closest I kind of try to think about. Uh, of a situation um, would be, I think, um, some of you might know, I, I work in law. And uh, to do that, I did a, the bar course, which is a, a, a year-long course you have to do um, to qualify. And for that, I had to go to all these really fancy dinners, the compulsory dinners. And um, <laughs> you don't want to laugh at that point. <laughs> Just the vision of me in a fancy dinner, maybe. <laughs> Um, but they were, you know, it's the thing where you've got loads of different knives and forks and loads of different glasses. And there was a lot of me sitting there looking at everyone else, just like, if I just follow what everyone else is doing, we're going to be okay. Um, and, um, you know, at, at certain points, it was all very formal. Um, everyone started singing a song that everyone knew. And again, I don't know if you've been in that situation, maybe it was earlier in worship when you don't really know the song, you just. Uh, <laughs> Um, just, uh, oh yeah, a bit rusty, haven't done it in a while. I have no idea what that song was, no idea. Um, and, you know, very, and it came to, they did grace, and I thought, well, I've been to church most of my life, I've got this, it's going to be okay. No, they do grace and it's in Latin. <laughs> I don't know Latin, no idea. So I'm there and I've got to do the, like, the one eye open, like, just to know when it's going to start and end, because I'm not sure, because I don't know Latin. Um, so just a whole evening, and... I don't know if you can relate to feeling like this, but of, of being like, I just need to copy everyone else to try and like, give the impression that I fit in because I definitely don't belong here, um, but I'm just trying to do what I can so it makes it seem like I belong here when, in fact, I really don't. And that is something... I mean, I felt hugely uncomfortable at the time, um, but, you know, I can, I can look back and I can, I can laugh about um, but one thing that I, in looking at this text, and one thing that I really wanted um, to make sure is clear this morning is that um, in society, maybe, in society we have people probably that feel on the fringes. We have in society people who perhaps feel in the minority or on the edges. Um, maybe even in church, you would feel like someone who you feel on the edge you feel maybe on the margins. You feel like you are in the minority to everyone else. You may feel like that from your family even, that sense, even in your workplace, and in lots of contexts. 
But the, the, the really important thing to know is that even if society or even church makes you feel like you're on the margins, you're in the minority on the fringes, you are not on the fringes of God. As God is not human. God is God, and there is, there is no, none of that fringes with God. So even if society has made you feel like your, your own family made you feel like that, and maybe church even, actually, has made you feel on the fringes, on the different, God, with God, you are not on the fringes. And with God, in fact, when we look at what God is like, so, as I said, what we know is that you know, Jesus came down to earth before Acts. He came to show us what God's like as God. He was someone who specifically spent his time with those that society said were on the margins, were, were the ones kind of overlooked on the edges. And you know, there's one particular time that um, the Bible records of Jesus. And often when he spoke, he'd kind of like gather huge crowds of people. And there's a time when there's you know, all these people around him and there's a tax collector. And a tax collector at that time, people hated. I mean, we probably don't like them now, do we? But you know, they really hated them because they just stole people's money. They kind of exploited people. Um, and he was kind of right on the edge. And in fact, he actually tried to like, climb a tree just to get a bit closer, but was still kind of just really on the edges. And, and he was the one that Jesus kind of pointed out to and kind of said, you know, Let's, we're hanging out tonight. <laughs> and that's what Jesus did. And again, he gives a parable, in fact, of saying, what, what, is, um, what is God like? And he does, it's a story he gives about um, a woman who loses a coin. And I mean, I don't know if I can fully relate to this. You've, you've lost that five, like, pound coin somewhere in the room or like a fiver. And all else in your life is like on pause because you're like, I've got to find a pound coin. Um, and actually, he's describing what God's love is like there. And, and that's, again, because in terms of how God is, he not only draws us close to him, particularly those of you who, who feel like you are on the fringes, on the edges, but he pursues you. He pursues us. And that's why with God, there is no sense that if you feel like in the fringes, even in church or society, whatever else, in God, you are not on the fringes because God draws close to us and draws us close to him. Okay. So, when looking at this text again, what, what can we see? Well, as I said, we've got these two groups. We've got the Hebrews, the majority, the people who are... Um, kind of traditionally, culturally, fully kind of Jewish. You've got this side group of Hellenists who are Greek-aligned, culturally, language-wise, are Greek. And um, what we can see here is, in fact, sometimes we can look back on that early church and think, oh, you know, how incredible it was. They had all these signs and wonders, and um, we trying to be like that. And in fact, what we shows us and what we need to acknowledge is that there were divisions in the church, in, in God's own church, there were divisions and there were tensions. And um, in terms of these two groups, before they became believers of Christ, they would have actually gone to separate synagogues. These were people who would have just kind of lived separate lives, groups that weren't necessarily mixed. They've come, they've believed in Jesus, they now come together as one church and one community and trying to live that out. And what we can see is that you become... and you, become a believer in God, you have the Holy Spirit come and live with you, but you don't just suddenly get rid of all your experiences of life. You don't get suddenly get rid of 
assumptions you may have or prejudices you have. As a church, you're in a context, and for them, that was that context. They came to the church with that history. Uh, again, we meet in, we meet in Brixton. Um, what a context, what a history. And again, as individuals and as church, there's, a, there's an acknowledgement here that we will come as humans. We, our church, we're not in a bubble. We're not in a vacuum that is untouched by everything else in this world. What we see is, in fact, as we all come, we don't just leave everything else about us at the door. We bring it all. Um, perhaps experiences of when you have been victims of discrimination or whatever else. Or coming as someone who has assumptions and prejudices. And we, and we come with it all into church. Even in the early church, they had that. And that's the same for us today. And there's, a, there's an acknowledgement here. In fact, when people come from um, different backgrounds, uh, different cultures, there will be tensions um, and there will be um, divisions um, between them. So, basically, we should not be surprised. And I, and I might be saying this, and you'd be saying, Hannah, what are you doing? This is Beacon. This is, our, this is our beloved Beacon. We have no tensions here. Shush, you're just like bringing some up. Um, and um, what I would say that actually, if, you're, if we're sitting there thinking, and I've you know, thought a lot about this and think, oh, we're fine, we haven't got anything here. Well, that might well be because we're in the majority. And in fact, that, that might be why, for you, it might be quite a surprise um, to hear me say that. Um, and in fact, what, what we don't have to be is surprised if or when these things come up. And the fact that seemingly there aren't any does not mean that everything's perfect, but it's just they have not come to the surface. And um, just starting to think about that, as for me, I feel, you know, I've been in church, this church particularly for a long time, and I feel very comfortable, you know, if I've got an opinion on something, you know, something that I think is going well or not well, I feel really quite comfortable to express it. <laughs> You're probably all aware of that. Um, <laughs> And in expressing my opinion, I feel really quite confident it will be heard. So, and, um, and that's where we're thinking about. But I also acknowledge that I, I'm probably, I, am, I feel like I'm someone who's in this church, who's in the majority and in the heart of the church. And actually, there's acknowledgement, though, that is not the case for everyone um, comes and the different people coming. So, this is something, potential divisions, tensions between different groups... This is something just to acknowledge, to actually say, okay, let's be aware of this. It's something that's going to be there. Um, it doesn't stop there. This is not something just to be like, meh, you know, well, there's going to be tensions. There's always going to be tensions then. Fine, let's just let it be. Well, no, because in fact, again, what this text shows us is just how important it took this issue. These people are vigilant about what happens. As soon as this kind of um, this issue, this complaint comes up, they, we are appointing like a committee of people to deal with it. We're not just com a committee. We're like, who are the best people? We want them full of faith, full of wisdom. You know, they take this extremely seriously. And that is because, you know, in God's church, there is no place for discrimination. There is no place um, for tensions or of people being overlooked. And what was clear about this is that God's heart is that this is unacceptable just to let lie. This is something we need to be aware about and to be sorting out. This, these, just because we can acknowledge they're going to happen, that does not mean we can be lazy about this. But it's clear that 
we need to be looking at this and taking it with the seriousness um, that it deserves and the Bible, that the Bible tells us to have about it. And in fact, when we look at this, as I said, I've kind of given that context, that these were all Jewish people, and therefore it's kind of cultural ethnic um, divides within this, in one sense, kind of not the hugest differences between them. And as some of you, some of you may know, that later on, we get to the point in Acts where um, the gospel starts to spread, not just from the Jewish people where it started, but then um, the Gentiles, which is just a word for everyone who's not Jew, so all the other nations and countries. And there's something really important about where these, these slight divides, how important it is for us to get it right here, because this laid down a foundation for the church to then a huge divide, you know, people of completely different backgrounds and cultures and countries and rules and everything else, that they, the fact that they got it right in this context set that groundwork for then the bigger, the bigger kind of battle to come later. So, it's... It's a, something to acknowledge, but something we need to take seriously and something that there is absolutely no space for and so something we need to be aware of and looking at. So what's the answer then in terms of, um, of this? Um, we can see, okay, so there's going to be tensions. We need to do something about it. <laughs> something, definitely need to do something about it. Um, well, what is the answer, I guess? the answer. But what we know is effectively, it's just such a cliche, isn't it? But God, Jesus, <laughs> comes. And basically, what we can see is that God has come. He's come as Jesus and all that he's done at the cross. And in terms of the church he is building, and what we see across the book of Acts, is that God is building a church that's like himself. And this is... is incredible answer, his gospel message, his church that he is building is this incredible answer to these um, tensions and divisions. In, in looking at that, we're kind of like going right back to the beginning of what I was saying, you know, what is God like? You know, if, if, you're, if you feel like you're on the fringes or edges of a, if you felt like you've been made to feel like um, someone is in a minority, well, God is, God is a God of, who pursues us and is like calling us in to the centre to him. He's someone looking out and bringing close to him all of those on the edges. He is someone pursuing us, pursuing those. And God, as we've said, he is, he is Jesus. Um, he is a son. He is a father. He's the Holy Spirit. And so looking at him, we know inherently he is um, diverse. He is, he is different within himself. So when God is building a church like himself, he is building a diverse church. And again, well, when we look at that, he is family. He is his father and son. His very being is a family, and his very being is relational. So he's building a church like himself, and he's building a church that is innately family and innately relational. It's, it, so it's something in ter- to think about in terms of the church and what it looks like. And it's, it's really easy to say these things and to say these phrases. And for you, I don't know what your experience as family has been. And for me, I have a lot of memories of, as a child, basically being told, Hannah, apologise to your sister. <laughs> Hannah, apologise to your brother. <laughs> And um, 
sometimes, you know, if you didn't really do it that heartfelt, you'd have to do it a second time. It was like, Hannah, <laughs> apologize to your sister. Um, I don't know about you, but I don't think I ever did a heartfelt apology <laughs> in any of my young years, in all honesty, um, because I was always in the right. So, in all honesty, it was just something, you know, you're told to do. You have to be like, oh, I'm sorry, Becky. Um, and it was something we did. Usually, you know, Becky had done something wrong. And um, <laughs> it was just something we did. It was kind of like this ritual we went through. Um, and then we just knew everything would be okay again, and we'd just start playing again. Um, in, like, as I said, in all honesty, it was not like a heartfelt thing, but just thing we went to. I mean, she's my sister. We're related. Obviously, we just will be fine again. Um, some of you may know that we were um, actually born in Birmingham. <laughs> we like to advertise this quite a lot, um, rather than the fact that I grew up in Kent. Um, <laughs> And in Birmingham, we had um, a few really close families um, around us, um, particularly through the church. We used to live close together, and we came really close. And in particular, there's um, one person who is one particular family, and the mum called Sandra, who um, was really close to. And she um, is a lady, she's, um, uh, her parents are from Jamaica, but she was born in the UK. Um, she, well, I was going to say her age then, She's my, uh, my parents' generation. Um, and um, so, so we have abs- you know, nothing in common. It's not like we went to school together. Me and this lady have nothing in common. We're not related, um, completely different kind of backgrounds. And yet she is someone who basically became a second mother to me growing up. Um, without any sort of obligation, um, she is someone who basically, for some unknown reason to me, effectively just made that decision. And I just became basically another one of her children. Um, and now, probably, she's just an extremely good friend of mine. And as I said, there's no, it's not like we just had loads in common, naturally. It's not that she had any obligation. She has no, we're not related. There was, no one told her to do it that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> but yet, yeah, that relationship has had a profound impact on me in my life. And I, as I said, I, had a lo- I have a lovely, secure family that I grew up with, parents um, who are wonderful. And yet, the fact that of being chosen by someone when they didn't have to, to make me their family, um, you know, it's something I've really tried to think about. You really try and, like, sometimes analyse these things. And the best I can come up with is just the expression of the gospel. And just, it's an expression of God. That whilst, you know, we were strangers to him, he chose us and decided to make us his family. That despite us being different to him, you know, we are humans and he is God. We're made in his image, but he's God, you know. And he chose to make us his family. And there's something powerful in that. And there's something in the expression of who God is and expression of the gospel um, that's reflected in that, that just has... Um, just, I think, just had the most incredible um, experience for me to have that, to have someone in my life who's just made me their family like that. It just feels like they've chosen me. And, and 
it's that kind of essence of, of for church and for God has for his church. He wants to express himself, who he is, his gospel message through the church, this whole message of taking people. He has no obligation towards us, and yet he saved us and made us his family. And expressing that through his church of of choosing one another and saying, you will be my family and I will express the love of God in that. And it's, that's the, I think, the incredible power that is in, in that he is doing in his church. And um, again, looking at Jesus, there's, um, there's at one point that's um, accounted in the Gospel of John of a prayer Jesus made. And just reading a section of it, um, Jesus prayed this prayer, saying, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind with us, then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. So they'll be unified and together as we are, I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. And I said this is a prayer of the, of the expression of, the, of God and his, of who he is and his love to us, um, expressing it through. And that's his prayer for us, that we would all show the world what he is like, how he is with us. And often I think we think about, um, once you've become a, a Christian, you, you, we know that God has said that he will then make us more like him. I often use the word kind of sanctification. It's this process that it's not us that do it. It's God that for some reason, then as we live and getting to know him, he makes us more like him. And we often think of that individual thing. But actually that's also it's a collective thing of the church, that he is in fact, in his grace, making us church more like him, more like who he is. And we are, we are just becoming like that because of his grace and his power through us. So, I'm aware we've got a barbecue to have. <laughs> just l- looking at that in terms of, um, of what um, I want to bring, really. And if nothing else, just know that if you... In a, at all feel like you are on the fringes, on the edge, um, sidelined, whatever other word would do (laughs) because of anything in your life, because of society, even if church has done that, your family, know that you are not then on the sidelines of God, that he wants draws us close to him, whoever you are, wherever you're from, that's that's what the cross does. And that he pursues you, where, whoever you're from, whoever you are. And secondly, um, I hope this can start a dialogue in this church. Let's think about who are our widows, maybe, in this day and age. And back then, um, widows would have been the most vulnerable in society. Um, they would have been supported by their husbands, who, of course, then died. And therefore, their families looking after them. 
Often, perhaps in this context, when you became a Christian, your, your family might have disowned you, and therefore they were um, solely reliant on the church looking after them. And we can see that the tension of where this came through for the Hellenists and the Hebrews was the most vulnerable, the widows. And perhaps we need to think about, maybe it's not the widows today, but who are most vulnerable here? Where are the tension points that can be here? Um, and where is that going to come out? How did this come up, this, this fact that there was this um, bias? And again, when looking at it, it's clear um, from um, a, commentaries and stuff, it's unlikely to have been a, um, a kind of proactive um, kind of racism or discrimination. It wasn't that they decided the Hebrews will get more and the Hellenists will get less. Basically, it was more of probably of an oversight. It was this kind of more of an unconscious bias that because the Hebrews were the majority group, um, they probably ended up getting more and they were just, the, the Hellenists were just kind of overlooked in quite an unconscious way. Well, again, looking at um, being aware and starting a dialogue then, how did this come up? Well, people must have asked the widows or asked the Hellenists what was going on. And also, the what must have been is there was a level of relationship in this church that the widows were, were able to give an honest answer, were, were able to share what was going on. And again, are we creating a culture and environment here where these things can be said? Not, I would think, easy things to say, but are we creating a culture and environment where this dialogue can take place? Let's not assume, because there are maybe tensions at the moment or tensions that we're aware of, that there aren't any and that everything's okay, but that actually we need to give um, the dialogue for these um, things to come up. So, those are the two things, really, overall. You are not on the fringes of God. I want to, like, beat you over the head with it. If you go away with nothing else, that's it. And also, let's, let's move forward. Let's start dialogues, the conversation to be had of looking at where these points may be. And let's not be surprised or let's be scared. But actually, as these things come up, they can be dealt with. And we are moving towards expressing who God is and becoming all God is and the gospel is in doing so. So I'm going to quickly pray. Um, and then I think Phil's going to come quickly up. Yes, Lord, thank you so much for who you are, that you are um, a God who pursues us, Lord, like that lost coin in the sofa, God, that you just keep looking until you've found us, God. And we're so grateful for that, Lord, that you draw us close. And Lord, we just pray that in knowing that, we may just become that as a church to people. Lord, show us, reveal to us what it is to be family, to be diverse, to be people um, who can create a culture where we can have these conversations uh, and move past them and, deep, and build deeper and more wonderful family. Lord, we need your help, God. <laughs> we need you to, your help to do it, Lord. Not in our own strength, but yours. And we pray now just for conversations as we leave, Lord, that you may be in them. Um, that you may be glorified, God, and give us the strength to do it, Father. Amen. Amen.